We're continuing uh, what we started last week, a series on Moses. And uh, once again, we're looking to the New Testament to read about Moses. So if you want to follow, we're in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. I'm going to read from verse 17. This is part of um, a sermon preached by Stephen where he gives a kind of overview of uh, some of the characters of the Old Testament and God's overall purpose. And so we're picking up from there. Acts 7 and verse 17. As the time of the promise was approaching, which God had assured to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose another king over Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. It was he who took shrewd advantage of our race and it mistreated our fathers so that they would expose their infants and they would not survive. It was at this time that Moses was born. He was lovely in the sight of God. He was nurtured three months in his father's home and after he'd been set aside, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own son. Moses was educated in all the learning of Egypt and he was a man of power in words and deeds. But when he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his brothers, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him, took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers understood that God was granted them deliverance through him, but they didn't understand. On the following day, he appeared to them as they were fighting together, and he tried to reconcile them in peace, saying, Men, you're brothers. Why do you injure one another? But the one who was injuring his neighbor pushed him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? You don't mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday, do you? At this remark, Moses fled and became an alien in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning thorn bush. And when Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. As he approached, he looked more closely and there came the voice of the Lord, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abram and Isaac and Jacob. Moses shook with fear and wouldn't venture to look. But the Lord said to him, take off the sandals from your feet, for the place in which you're standing is holy ground. I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their groans and I've come down to rescue them. Come now, I will send you to Egypt. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of worshipping you, drawing close to you, expressing our delight in you. We thank you, you are beautiful beyond description, Lord. We thank you that those who have seen you come away with faces shining, completely kind of undone by meeting with the living God. And yet we can come and call you Father. We thank you for your desire to bless us. And we ask you right now, Father, for the help 
and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and be our teacher. Come and inform our minds and our hearts. For your glory's sake, we pray. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, last week we looked in Exodus at the event, and then we looked at Hebrews where it comments on the event of Moses and his extraordinary history that he was born at uh, a terrible time in Israel's history. He was born into a slave community, and not only into a slave community, but into a community where children, particularly sons, were to be slaughtered. And so he was born at a time where he could have died immediately. We saw the faith of his parents who cared for him, who didn't fear uh, what could happen to them if they did that. And then we saw when he came to an uh, age of maturity, here in Acts 7, it says when he became about 40 years of age, where he was a mature man, he got a reputation in Egypt as a prince, a warrior. It says he was mighty in word and deed. He's a powerful guy, and he's looked at what Egypt can offer. It's very tangible success. It's incredible uh, skills in terms of building programs, uh, medicine, all sorts of advances. They're very tangible, very much there. And then he had this spiritual, mystical concept that his parents have spoken about, that we are God's people. God spoke to Abraham, our forefather. God gave us a promise that through this nation, ultimately through a Messiah who would come, God was going to bless the whole world. We are the saving nation for the world. We carry God's purposes. And Moses, though he looked at a slave community who must have been so unimpressive at the time, he came to a place of faith and by faith he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He he turned his back on all that was being offered to him and he started on a journey which ultimately was going to have massive success. And we might think, well, he made such a great choice. And we looked at that pretty thoroughly last week. I don't want to go over all that again, of course. And you might think, well, he's on his way. Here we go. Uh, This is going to be exciting. And instead, we read a kind of different story somehow. And it's not plain sailing by any means. And the first thing we find is this, that he ran ahead of God. He understood the situation, and he tried to carry with him That human strength, he was a resourceful guy now, he's a young prince, he's full of power, energy, he's used to guys doing what he says, and he tries to transfer all that human skill, all that human strength, and just put that into God's plan and purpose, just to say, well, I can do something to help God, I can do something to advance his cause, and he's taken a bold step, he's taken almost a sacrificial step, and he saw, well, I'm, I'm now qualified to serve God. I'm now qualified to bring change. And, of course, he made a terrible mistake. He certainly began to learn very quickly that that's not how it is. We see that uh, he saw an Egyptian uh, mistreating an Israelite, and he went out and killed him. And then the next day went out and imposed his authority on two fighting Israelites, and, and they turned on him and said, who made you a ruler over us? Who made you a ruler? And it was like Moses was assuming, if I've given my life to God, therefore I must be important in his purpose. He was taking a lot for granted. He was way ahead 
of what God wanted or what God had at this stage called him to be and do. He's trying to help God. And he's trying to help God before God has called him. I want us to see the importance here, if we're going to serve God, of knowing God being the initiator. In the end, it's God's mission. In the end, he's not looking for volunteers in the wrong sense. He wants to call people. He wants to commission people. He wants to lay hold of lives and thrust them into his plan. And so running ahead of God is a pretty dangerous thing to do. In fact, if you just look at 1 Corinthians 1, I'll read a few familiar verses to you, where it says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26, Consider your calling, brothers, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen and the things that are not so that he might bring to naught the things that are so that no man may boast before God. Moses has got to go through some pretty major surgery before God's going to use him. And of course we know our Bibles very well, so we know how Moses became such an incredible servant of God. But what is on offer at the moment is raw material that God cannot use. Because this man has been educated and trained as a young prince. He's, he's been taught how to push his weight. He's been taught how to be resourceful, how to get people to jump when he says jump. Because, well, he's a prince. And he thinks, I can just transfer that into the kingdom. And he can't. Because ultimately, the kingdom of God is God's work, is God's purpose, and God does the choosing and the calling. And so we can't impose ourselves on God's plan, which is what Moses learns pretty quickly. And we find here that God's, it says, he doesn't choose many powerful. He doesn't choose many mighty. He doesn't choose many wise. If you've got a degree, you're lucky you're here at all. Okay? He doesn't choose many wise. He doesn't choose many noble, people who've got strings, who've got power enough. He doesn't do that. He tends to choose people who very often say, but, but why are you speaking to me? So you find God calling Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is saying, no, 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 I'm too young. And, and God calls Gideon and says, Gideon, Gideon says, no, I'm the least in my father's house, and my father's house is nothing to get excited about. It's like God seems to come to people who've got no particular self-confidence, who don't feel, I could do this. Are you, well, what job? I'll do it for you, God. No, it's, it's usually people who say, I couldn't possibly do that. That's out of my capacity. And what we find here with Moses is that God will ultimately use him. But he's going to deal with his self-confidence first. So that by the time Moses is used, he's clinging to God. He's, he's, he knows it's God's work, not his. And that transition has to take place because here there is no call. God hasn't called him to go. He supposed that the brothers would understand, it says. That's a big supposition. There in Acts 7, he supposed his brothers would understand. God has sent me. But God hadn't sent him. He saw the situation and he rushed into it. And he's going ahead of God. He's going into a realm he's not being commissioned to go. And you'll find that people like Jeremiah and Gideon are so phenomenally helped by these words. 
have I not sent you? Have I not sent you means, means God is the initiator. God is the empowerer. God is the one who's going to see it all through. And when we think, oh, I could do this, I could do this, we've really missed the point. And we've misunderstood the nature of the conflict that lies before them. Moses will ultimately confront Pharaoh, the most powerful emperor of his day. He'll confront armies. He'll confront Red Sea. He'll confront all kinds of things, things that are way outside of our capacity. See, if you move in your own strength, you also move in the limitations of your strength. And for some people in ministry, when it says in, Paul says, who is sufficient for these things? He's saying that as an apostle, he's serving God, and he begins to talk about the pressures he faces. He talks about the hostility, the opposition, the delays, the difficulties, and he suddenly says, who's sufficient for these things? And then he gives this answer, not that we are sufficient of ourselves. Our sufficiency comes from God. So he gets to the place where he says, no, no, God is the one who's made me sufficient. But if God hasn't commissioned you in the first place, you are presuming to say, I, I call on God's strength. So Moses has to learn this. And we're going to see it's kind of quite a big hiccup, really. And sometimes we can appeal almost to the flesh. I remember when I was a young guy, I was at a Baptist church that used to have a missionary appeal every year. And it was a big event. Uh, so we would have missionary speakers all through the week, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all every night of the week there'd be missionary speakers and they'd show us their slides and stories and, and their baubles and beads from Africa and all the rest of it. And, uh, you know, it was, and at the end of the week, you'd have a big preacher and uh, he'd, he'd really say, now who's going to go to the field? And uh, it, was, it was really scary because, uh, you know, the, the young people used to hold the chairs. I know I didn't get called this year. But it was, it was like, who will go? There's, a, there's this terrific call uh, that came. And, and, and we used to sing uh, an old hymn, which you probably don't ever hear, heard of, but some of you older people may remember it. It said, just as I am. And uh, it went on and said, young, strong and free to be the best that I can be. kind of appeals to the flesh, that, you know. Just as I am, young, strong, and free. I remember once I was sitting in that congregation. I was actually very backslidden at the time, but I was very caught up in the kind of excitement of the occasion. And, and just as I am, and, and young, strong, and free. And the guy, Stephen Olford, the Sunday I'm talking about, the week I'm talking about, and he was a great preacher. And he said, who will go? And a lot of girls came forward. And he shouted out, where are the men? Oh, oh God, I'm a man. And, and then we sang. And, I, and I'm thinking, yeah, the church is all a bit of old-fashioned, needs a lot of help around here. I think God does need some help. And uh, those sort of things went through my mind. And we sang that great song, just as I am, young, strong and free, to be the best I can be. And it's like Moses did that. Moses said, here I am. And God said, mm, thank you very much. See you in 40 years. <laughs> He had to get kind of drained out of him all that princely authority, that kind of, yeah, I can do this. I can do that. Anyone can do that. No, no, he couldn't do that. He had to learn it. And sometimes when God does choose someone who's strong, we say he's a natural leader. He'd be a leader in business. He'd be a leader in education. Yeah, he could lead in the church. 
he could lead in a mission. And we think, oh, we can just transfer that skill. And that's what Moses did. I can transfer that skill. And that's not how it was at all. That's not how it was for the Apostle Paul. You might say, oh, the Apostle Paul was, was an enemy of the gospel and he kind of changed track. No, 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 no. He fell to the ground, blinded. God dealt with his arrogance and his self-assurance. It's almost like God has to take you apart and then put together again. And that's certainly what happened to Moses. So there's no call, there's no commission, and there's no companionship. Because it says he killed the Egyptians. He says, looking this way and that. That's a real mark of an unsent man. He's not looking to God. He's looking, what's going to happen here? There's no sense God's with me. And sometimes you see people in Christ and they're just looking, what's, well, maybe... Uh, no, here, we're looking for that kind of authenticity that says God is behind this. And there's none of that here. So it's a fatal error. He actually is not yet the servant of the Lord. He's just got a general idea, actually a very profound awareness, as we saw last week, of the issues that said, right, I'm not going to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He made that step. That's the Bible's assessment. It's a bold, courageous step of faith. But the way he executed it, he blundered. He thought, I can take my strength into this work. It's a bit similar to in the Old Testament when they, they tried to carry, do you remember, the Ark of God on a cart because the Ark of God had been in the Philistine territory uh, uh, and, and, and they sent it on a cart back to Israel. And they thought, well, if they did it, we can do it. It's like, you can carry the purpose of God anywhere you like. An art, you know, a cart will do. And God is furious because God has said in the Old Testament, no, you carry, the, the priests carry that ark. It's a holy thing. It's a holy thing. And it was like indifferent to who are we serving here. Indifference to God's holiness to his stamp about what we do. Well, anybody can do it. Let's just get Sachi and Sachi and they could improve our image. Just use the methods. And failing to see, no, no, when you get in step with God, you're in step with a power that can deal with issues. But you've got to be in step with him. It's so important that we hear that because Moses is not yet ready to serve God. He's not going to use methods that are reflecting the majesty and holiness of God. Later on, it's a completely different deal. When Moses really gets called by God, it's not like he's looking right and left, what shall I do, what shall I do? It's, he's now God has got hold of him, and said, right now, go! And we'll come to that in the later week. And, and, and he's following God. And, and follow, when God has commissioned, and God has sent, it's like Moses is coming forward, and hey, hey, it's the Red Sea. There's the Red Sea blocking the way. And it's like Moses turns around and says, uh, God, you've got a problem here. Red Sea. See, when you've been commissioned by God, the problem is God's problem. When it's your idea, it's your problem. When it's God's idea, hey God, you've got a problem. Red Sea? God says, stand still. See the salvation of God. I am for you. I am with you. I take responsibility for you. When we run ahead of God, you can't claim that. And we soon find how he comes unstuck. Paul says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through God to pull down 
strongholds. So he's trying to use human strength in serving God. It doesn't work. Secondly, he's moved by needs, not by God. He just saw a situation and acted. Now, in some ways, that's commendable. So we find, for instance, in the New Testament, the story of the Good Samaritan who sees a need and responds. And that's commendable. Obviously, it's commendable in the Scripture. Here we're talking about not just seeing a need and helping, but acting, as it were, on God's behalf. Supposing they would understand God was providing deliverance through him. This was just being stirred by need. Sometimes people say this, the need constitutes the call. So just look at Africa. Look at the Far East. Look at, hey, there's a need. You don't, who don't, you don't need anything else. The need constitutes the call. Just go, look. And people say, look, the fields are white unto harvest. Come on, come on. How will they hear without a preacher? And it's almost like the situation simply demands action. You might say, well, look at Istanbul. Look at the need. I better go. I, need, I mean, the need's there. The need is the core. But it's interesting. When Jesus said, the fields are white unto harvest, what did he say next? He said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will thrust forth laborers. He did not say, look, they're white. Come on, what's wrong with you? No, he said, pray the Lord of the harvest. Because if God doesn't get hold of and thrust forth the laborers, it's not going to happen. And in Romans, when it says, how will they hear without a preacher? The next question is, how will they go unless they're sent? There has to be a commissioning. There has to be God taking hold of someone and saying, I am apprehending you, I'm, talk I'm calling you. And it's a very personal thing. It's very clear when God gets hold of him, it's a very different kind of deal. We read on to the end of the passage where later on, God comes to Moses. And you hear this. God says to Moses, I have heard the cry of this people. I have seen their plight. I have come down to save them and I send you. Very different to Moses saying, oh, look at that need, I must go into it. Now, the need should stimulate prayer. The need should make us cry out to God. You find the same with Nehemiah. It says, Nehemiah heard that Jerusalem was in ruins and it, it broke his heart. And, and wrote, uh, Nehemiah chapter 1 says, he mourned and fasted and prayed. He came to God. Nehemiah chapter 2, he's sent by God. He brought it to God. There has to be, if we're going to represent God, there has to be that awareness. No, God has apprehended me and commissioned me. Without that, what we find is this. Without that, you can't keep it up. You can start. You can start with a flash of enthusiasm. Oh, the poor people of Istanbul, I must go. Then you get there. You say, who are you? Why did you come here? Do you think you've got something to tell us? You've got a better religion than we've got? Who do you think you are? Wow, this is, this is what happened to Moses. Who do you think you are? Who do, I said, Moses ran away. 
because the need was not strong enough to hold him. Beloved, you would never stay in ministry for a lifetime if you didn't know God had apprehended you. You meet with so much disappointment, setback, challenges. People who say, oh, I know your motives. All kinds of battles. You look at how Nehemiah had to fight to get that city up. The challenges, the things that came against him. Until in the end he says, shall such a man as I flee? Now, was that because he was self-important? No, it's because I've been called by God. And it's that call of God that holds you through. It's that sense, no, I'm, I'm not free to run away. When I was a pastor in a, a church we first started in and we were, we were trying to introduce life in the Spirit and seeing people baptized with the Spirit and, and, and people speaking in tongues and prophesying and it's all very controversial when we first started back in the late 60s, early 70s and it was really difficult and even the eldership was in disarray and I thought, oh, this is hopeless, this can't work. I thought, well, how can God bless such disunity? And I wrote my letter of resignation. I wrote, dear guys, uh, I can't see how God could bless this. Um, I'm leaving. Uh, I wrote this letter saying, that's it. You know, how can this be hopeless? And I felt God said to me, very good. Did I tell you to write that? I was as clear as that. Did I tell you to write that? I thought, oh, no, Lord. Throw it away. I threw it away because I'm not, I wasn't a free agent. I wasn't doing it because I thought I'll do this. I knew God had called me. So I'm not free to walk away. Before Moses was called, he was free. I'll run away, run away. Later on, Moses will confront Pharaoh. He'll confront all sorts of difficulties and setbacks. You never ever hear, he just ran away. Because now he's a man under authority. He's a man captivated by God's purpose. And the more we get to know God, dear friends, and the more we have a relationship with God, even as a corporate body, we can grow in confidence. God has put us in this place. And more and more aware, God wants something in Kingston for his glory. God wants his voice heard. And more and more that conviction growing in us that hey, it's not just our idea, but feeling, no, no, God's, God's got hold of us for something. And the more you get aware of that, see, like Elijah, it says Elijah saw the state of the nation and Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain. That's the first thing we know about him. He prayed that it wouldn't rain. And then God spoke to him and said, go and say to Ahab, it won't rain till you say so. And then, then, then Elijah stood before the king and said, the God before whom I stand... And you get the sense that when you speak to Elijah, it's like you're speaking to the God who's behind him. And that's the mark of servants of God right through the Bible. That when you encounter those who've been apprehended by God, you're not just hearing some do-gooders, some people or something want to be done. No, 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 you're meeting with an authority that's behind them. And sometimes churches lacks that. When I was at, uh, in sixth form, grammar school in Brighton. There was a guy in the sixth form. I said, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going into politics. He said, if I can't get into politics, I'm going into the church. So that's what I'm going into. And, and you can meet church. It sounds like that. It sounds like, well, we're just trying. We'll try this. You don't like that? Oh, we'll change it. Try that. Oh, that you don't like that? Oh, maybe we'll change the church a bit more. Try this. How do you like that? 
the, the nations need to hear not a, a message that keeps changing to something more preferable, but to the sense these men and women are under an authority bigger than themselves. They live in awareness that God has apprehended them, spoken to them, given them values. They're completely different. So that in meeting the church, they meet God. Because God's got hold of us and God's commissioned us. So we don't presume, but when God begins to say these things to us and put them on our hearts, he endorses with his own presence. He endorses with his own authority. He endorses with his own resources. God provides the resources when he commissions. God amazingly, supernaturally provides and we've seen that so many times over the years when little groups find, no, God's provided. We've got what we needed. Wow, God got hold of us. God commissioned the whole thing. It was God who did it. It's God who will stand by us. So it's important to see the need does not constitute the call. It's not a biblical concept. The need should stir prayer. And then we let God, when God gets hold of people, then they're no longer free to say yes or no. They say, yes, I'm going with God. Because God's the initiator. Then thirdly, he's running ahead for, of God. He's too early. And he has no sense of timing. No sense of timing. Bob Mumford said this, God has more problems with people trying to help him than he does with backsliders. And Moses is... is He's got no sense of God's time. And yet that's one of the marks of those who do serve him in the scriptures. Impatience is a mark of a child, really. I want it. I want it now. And I'll stamp my foot. There's something about waiting for God, which is quite a a difficult discipline for us. And yet it's often one of the things where people fail in the Bible. David was very good at waiting for God. He was with sheep. Then he's in a cave. Then, Even then they made him king over Judah. And he had to wait several more years before he became king of the whole nation. He waited for God. He kept on waiting for God. Unlike Saul, and one of the reasons Saul, who had been nominated, failed, was he would not wait. You remember that crisis when Samuel made this arrangement with him. You wait for me. You wait for this day. Uh, and in the end, he would not wait for Samuel to arrive. And he stepped out of his, his kingly responsibility into a priestly one, which was, was only for the priest to do. And he stepped into that. He made an offering like he was a priest. And Samuel came and said, what are you doing? He said, well, I, I, didn't wait. I couldn't wait any longer. And Samuel came on the day appointed. But Saul wouldn't wait. He wouldn't wait for the moment. Sadly, that can be a real failure for us when we we don't wait for God's time. Even Abraham. Abraham's waiting for the promised child. And Isaac hasn't appeared on the scene. There is no child. And so Sarah says, well, use, use your maze. Go into Hagar let her produce, and Ishmael is produced, because he didn't wait. And Ishmael being produced was an ongoing problem for Abraham. It was always a problem for him. He didn't wait, didn't wait. Waiting for God is pretty challenging. 
waiting for God in terms of our jobs, maybe in terms of a marriage partner, maybe in all sorts of big things. We're waiting, waiting for God. Sometimes, oh, I can't wait for God. I'll, I'll snatch it. I'll, t- I'll act. But waiting for God is so important. It's a step of faith. It's not just being passive. It's not just putting your car in neutral and coasting. So, no, no, I'm waiting for you, Lord. I want you to work in me while I'm waiting for you. It's what God wants of us, dear friends. It's a step of faith. So, no, I'm waiting. I'm positively waiting for God. And sometimes when God does move, it's so fast, it's staggering. It's amazing when God suddenly springs into action, but it's so exciting when you think, I'm catching God's wave now. I really know God's doing it now. God's doing it. God's making things come together. But when we just force things onto God's program, we don't have any of that sense of the wonder of God's involvement with us. We just do it. And more and more, God's kind of in the background, rather than, no, he's the one I'm trusting. So we find David, as he goes on, as king, even in battles, he says, shall I go up against them now? He's won battles before, but he says, oh, I can win battles. No, no, no. Even as he's going on, shall I go now? And God says, now wait. And there's that battle, for instance, where it says, God said, when you, when you hear the wind moving in the trees, then you know, I'm right, that's God now. And that whole excitement, you find Paul saying, I was going to go this way, but the Spirit forbade me. I was going to go that way. And the Holy Spirit said, no. I'm saying, well, why, why what? And then I get a dream. Come over to Macedonia. Oh, that's what the waiting was about. Sometimes we don't understand the waiting until the door opens. Then you think, oh, you look back and think, oh, I see, that's what God was doing. But waiting is such a big key for us, learning to wait. You see so many of these things in Jesus' life. That Jesus, at one point, his brothers say to him, look, if you're some prophet, why don't you go up to Jerusalem? And he says, you can go any time. My time is not yet. It's like, you're free. You're not trying to please God. You can do what you like. You're kind of completely free. Jesus said, it's like, no, it's not my time. You find Jesus in the Gospels frequently referring to that. It's not my moment. It's like I'm waiting. It's, I do what I do. I see what I see the Father doing. I do. There's a waiting that's in his life. There's a growing in grace. It's hugely important for us to see that. I've just been reading a beautiful book on the incarnation and, and often he, the writer, Bruce Ware, a tremendous writer, he says we can get this concept that there's, there's, you know, he, he is God and man and it's almost like you feel, well, there's a kind of static thing. He's the God-man and, and so, well, there's like nothing to learn because, well, it's God and God's in the man. And so, but it plainly, the Bible says he grew in wisdom. And he grew in faith and obedience. He became obedient even to death on a cross. And Bruce Ware points out in this wonderful book how Jesus through, will be taken through experiences as a man. He, he laid aside his glory. He was always God. But he took on human flesh. And as a man, he learned. He learned. He had to learn wisdom. He had to be informed more and more. And he's growing in faith until ultimately his faith is at such a level he can walk into death on a cross in faith. He's growing in faith. He's learning to trust his Father as a human being. And there's that 
steady development of trust, obedience, step by step. And so remember when the story of Lazarus, it says, he whom you know is sick. He whom you love is sick. The message gets to Jesus that Lazarus, his dear friend, is treacherously ill, dangerously ill. He's on the, and, and it says he didn't go. And they thought, well, where's Jesus? Why didn't he turn up? And then he said, no, this is for the glory of God. And actually, it's probably the most profound miracle he did. He raised a guy from the dead who'd been dead three or four days. And when that happened, the enemies of Christ said, we must kill him. It was an incredible step of courage, even to go up into that area. The disciples said, don't go to Jerusalem, it's dangerous. Step by step, he's walking with his father. Step by step, he's being obedient, he's waiting God's moment. Step on, step on, until, yeah, we've re- he, comes to, he comes to the graveside. Lazarus, come forth with faith as a man empowered by the Spirit. And Lazarus steps out, and that marks the end. Look, we must kill him. We must kill, because it says they're all going after him. Jesus is becoming so popular, but it's a, it's a courageous step that led to the laying down of his life. And he's willing to go in God's timing. He learned obedience. He grew in faith. Moses isn't even on this track yet. He's just an independent trying to help God. And so we come to the end of the story. We find he just runs for it. In uncertainty and failure, he runs away. He runs to a desert place. And there he gets married, has two sons. It's almost like, well, that's the end of Moses then. Well, praise God, that's not the end of Moses. Because God's compassion and, and wonderful covenant love is awesome. We'll look at that more fully another morning. How God will pick up people who really feel I blew it. I really missed the way. I really went off on a tangent. He's way away. He has such courage. He says, I'm not going to be part of Pharaoh's deal. I'm going to join the people of Israel. I'm going to be part of this community. And now he's not even part of that. He's off. He's on his own now. And so this kind of arrogance almost destroyed him. This kind of, well, I can do this. Nearly killed him. Actually, God is just going to humble him until when Moses does come forth, it says this of Moses, he was the meekest man in all the earth. And when God does start engaging with him, he says, no, I can't speak. Here it says he's mighty in word. He's mighty in word. He's powerful orator. Now he says, no, I can't speak. God's, God's done something in him. Sometimes you go through difficult stages in your life. Maybe you've gone through a difficult patch. Saying, God, what are you doing with me? Maybe God's dealing with things where you were self-confident. Maybe the things you thought, well, I can handle this. And God brings you to a place where you think, I, I can't handle it. And we tend to see that as negative. Because the world's gospel these days is believe in yourself. It comes out of the Disney movies. Just believe in yourself and the world's yours. You know, you've got it. It's in you. Just believe yourself. And so that's the world's, you know, just believe in yourself. And then you come unstuck. You think, ah, oh, I've got nothing to believe in. And then you lean on a saviour. You find, hey, he can help people who know they've got nothing to offer. He can help people who feel, 
I'm useless. He can use people. He, he prefers. He says, I, I choose the weak things. I choose the foolish things. The things that are not. That no one can boast. See, God's, God's creating, cultivating. It says in Ephesians 2, we are his workmanship. He's working on you. I think it's the Jerusalem Bible translates it. We're his work of art. Have you thought of yourself as a work of art? Well, sometimes when he's working on you, he's demolishing some stuff that you used to be very confident in. And you say, wow, I feel wounded. I feel undone. You see, Isaiah said this, I saw the Lord. I was undone. The, the Hebrew word means lamed. He's been lamed. He can't, he can't walk anymore. Jacob, he's a crafty rascal. God deals with him. In the end, he's leaning on a stick. Now he's a prince with God. And sometimes God takes you through real buffetings, real tough things you don't understand, and it kind of destroys you a bit on the inside, and it destroys your, your wow, as a young guy, there's nothing you can't do. And you suddenly think, oh boy, no, my... My picture of what I can't, it's just shrunk and shrunk and shrunk. And it feels like you're being destroyed. What we need to understand is that that's God's dealing with this guy. He's, he's had his eye on him since he was a little baby. God's had his eye on you. God's delight is in us. We heard it in the meeting. He delights in us. But sometimes his work on us takes us through really tough times. But he's going to bring us out as something he creates. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. God begins to reshape and reform and bring forth something that's really for his pleasure. Sometimes it's with some tears, but he brings us through. Jesus was one so obviously sent, so obviously dependent, so willing to let the Father ordain every step. Shall we say that to God this morning? Shall we say to him, Lord, have your way, Lord. Do it your way. I'm not saying I can do something for God. I'm just the man you've been waiting for, God. They're saying, Lord, I cling to you. I will believe that you can use me. Let's stand to pray, please. It'd be great if the band could come up. Let's just draw near to him. Let's draw near to him. Let's just say to him, Lord, I, I understand this is a whole new world and I can't just transfer from one world to another. Sometimes we're, we're in a culture that wants to build up our self-image. It's a very big thing. Have good self-image. Carry that forward. Have confidence in yourself. When Moses starts the story today with huge confidence, and it gets completely eroded from him. Not so God can just destroy him, but so God can remake him make him the, one of the mightiest servants he has in the whole Bible. Father, I do pray for
everyone here. Pray for some of us who've been going through difficult times which have been almost incomprehensible. And Father, we just pray for renewed, restored confidence in you. We pray, Lord, help us to trust you, Lord. Help us to trust you when we feel undone. Lord, help us to have confidence. You know the path you take. So we commit ourselves afresh to you this morning. We say, Lord, here we are. We're here for you. Work out your plan in us. Thank you. You've known us since we were babies. You've known us from before the foundation of the world. You've got plans for us. Works prepared beforehand for us to walk in. Help us to put our confidence in you. Wait your time. Trust your will. Commit these things and ourselves to you right now, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen.